Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. this series for all of January, which it feels like January has been about a year, right? I mean, it's like the longest month ever. Uh, We've been in a series called Like and Subscribe. And the series was really built around this idea of what does it look like to make and stick to commitments in our lives. Uh, And so we've been talking about this in a number of different ways. But over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this specifically through the lens of Uh, the decisions that we make about who we want to become, the type of people we want to become. As a Christian, as a a person that follows Jesus, I I use Jesus as kind of this this, uh, target and this lens that I try and make decisions through and and, and shape my life around in those specific ways. And and as a church, that's really our desire. Our desire isn't to uh, to become like a really good church person or a really good religious person or a really good Christian by, uh, you know, by title, but actually to become people that live our lives like Jesus. We've been talking about what that looks like, and we have to be intentional. A lot of you guys may have made different resolutions or goals for the year, and there's things that you need to do to accomplish those goals. I know people that want to write a certain number of words every year. They're writers, and they just have this goal. And so they have to set out steps of, man, I, I got to do this many a day or this many a week. I'm going to do it at this time. I'm going to show up in this place. I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm going to whatever it is. And, and there's an intentionality there. The same thing is true in our spiritual life and in the ways that we want to grow. First Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing to a young leader, and we've read this verse every week this series. Uh, it says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. And I think there's a few interesting things here, because a lot of times we kind of fall into this faulty assumption that becoming a Christian uh, or having uh, salvation means that when we die, we get to go to the good place, we get to avoid the bad place, and, and that's really what it's about. But Paul is articulating something here. He's saying, no, when you, when you orient and wrap your lives around the way of Jesus, it actually makes your life better now also. It's not just about an eternal reality. It's about this one that you're currently living in. And before I go too much farther, I just want to say it's the last Sunday of the month, which means that Leanne is giving out prizes to kids that are loud. And I love it. So I don't know if you guys can hear it online. I don't know how loud they're going to be, but there's all kinds of competitions that they have. And I know I can hear it too. And I'm totally on board with it because those kids have so much fun in there and it's absolutely worth a little bit of noise here. And if your kid's in there, you know it's worth it because your kid's not in here with you. So it's, um, but we've been talking about this idea and, and what does it mean for us to be intentional? It's, it's not just that we have to make a plan for the physical ways we wanna grow or find fitness or, or the career opportunities. We also have to be intentional with self-control and disciplines and our spiritual growth as well to become a whole healthy person. So we've been going through this list of the spiritual disciplines, and we break it into three different categories. And not everybody loves the word discipline. We can call them spiritual practices because they're things that, that we do, and we want to do these on some sort of rhythm or regular basis. And the reason why we practice them is because then when it's time to play the game, 
we're, we're not out of shape. When it's time to show up, when it's time to, to face the challenge or navigate a decision or whatever it might be, we've been practicing a specific way of living, thinking, uh, talking, creating. So the first one is inward uh, disciplines, meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. Uh, the second one is the outward disciplines, which is, uh, you know, the things that we do towards another person. Simplicity, living simply, solitude, submission, and service. And then the last one is the category we're going to talk about today, and it's corporate. It's not about business strategies. Uh, corporate disciplines or corporate, corporate practices are things that we do together. Confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. These are things that we do together, in a room together. It's not something that I do by myself alone. It's not something that I do just uh, as an individual towards someone else. It's actually something that I do along with other people. The, uh, the first couple of these, the first couple of weeks, uh, the introverts were uh, uh, thrilled, ecstatic. Solitude, very spiritual. I've got it. Uh, we're all wired differently. Some of us are introverted. Some of us are extroverted. Some of us love to read and to study. Some of us don't. There's, there's all kinds of differences that we have. And so today, the ones that we're talking about, they all kind of have to do, they lend themselves a little bit more to extroverts. And so the introverts are going to be uncomfortable today. And some of us get to be like, oh yeah, it's easy. I get to be around people. I love that. So this is what we're talking about today, because there's something that happens Personally, as an individual, there's something that happens in my life, in my heart, in my mind when I'm with other people, when I'm with a group of people, when I gather corporately together. Um, in 2016, my wife and I, uh, we went to Chicago. It's one of our favorite places to visit, and we were hanging out there, and it was a week after the Cubs won the World Series, and uh, we had the trip planned, and, and we didn't really think too much of it, and so we were walking around on a Saturday out there, and um, we realized that the street was starting to get closed down. And we're like, well, this is kind of weird. I don't know what's happening. And, and then things, you know, crowds started gathering. And then we realized that they were going to have a, a celebration parade for the Cubs winning the World Series. And my wife's a diehard Angels fan, um, which is kind of the only way you can be an Angels fan because it's hard. Uh, and so, uh, so I'm an Angels fan also, but I think everybody was happy when the Cubs won. It doesn't matter what team that you, you're a fan of. There's a sense of, yeah, you know what? That's good for them. Uh, so we were there. We were excited to be in Chicago that week because everybody was super excited. But then all of a sudden, there's this parade, and this is pre-COVID, so like thousands of people crammed into streets and bars and pubs and buildings, and, all, and every, it, there was this crazy amount of excitement. And there was something that happened individually in us because we got to be a part of this thing with so many other people. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about corporate practices or corporate disciplines. During the lockdown, uh, I really missed being at church. Um, I know not everybody did, but I did. Uh, but it's not that I couldn't be here. I have a key. I could come in and walk around the building. Um, and, and it's not that I necessarily even missed preaching on a stage to a room full of people. Uh, I got to preach to my wife every day and she loved it, obviously. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I missed, I missed us just being together. I miss the opportunity that we had to be around each other. And that's what the church is. It's not actually a building. It's a gathering of people. And that's why the first opportunity that we had to get together outdoors as a community, we did, even though it was July. 
and hot. And we were in the parking lot and there was airplanes flying overhead every three minutes. And it was, there was nothing about it that was uh, ideal, but it was so much better that we could be together. We could listen to sermons online. We can listen to worship music online, but there's something about being together that is so crucial to who we are. Our faith, it has to be personal, but it cannot be private. There's certain aspects that can only be experienced or accessed when we live in community with others. So I want to look at four of these today. Um, I want to kind of go through a little bit practical of an explanation of what these are, uh, ways that we can begin to experience them, and why they're important. Because just being around other people doesn't necessarily mean that you're practicing some of these spiritual disciplines. And so what does it look like for us to be intentional in that way? The first one that I want to look at is probably the scariest sounding one, confession. So if you could all stand, no, I'm just kidding. Um, when we think of confession, you know, honestly, I don't even know that for most of my life, I didn't even think about confession as something that I would do in community. Uh, in my mind, confession is like a, a wooden phone booth with like a little mesh screen and I'm talking to a priest on the other side. That's what confession is. It's a still very individual, private, secret type of thing. But confession is really meant to be something that we do in community. Confession is making public what is private, and I think maybe the most important thing I want us to hold on to is that when we participate in confession, it disarms the power of secrecy in our lives. I talked with a lot of people that are dealing with a lot of different things and kind of all across all the categories, and one of the things that's true in basically every category is that when we try and hold something ourselves out of sight from other people, keep it in a shadow, maybe we don't even want to admit that it's there, and maybe it's not necessarily like a, a sin. It's not like you're doing something wrong and keeping it a secret. Maybe it's just fear or anxiety. Maybe the, there could be a lot of things, but we spend so much energy that we don't realize trying to control that and make sure nobody else hears it or sees it or recognizes it. And so in trying to control it, it's actually controlling us. We don't have freedom. We're trapped trying to keep this thing to be a secret. And so when we participate in confession, it disarms the power of secrecy. It's admitting what's really going on in our hearts and in our minds. When we think of this, it's an important aspect for us to recognize that it is a really beautiful thing to happen in community, corporately. It doesn't necessarily mean that it will happen on a Sunday morning. That might not be safe for you or for any of us. It might be a little bit scary. But one of the safest places I've ever felt in my life was this church basement in Des Moines, Iowa. Because once a week, I would meet there with about 10 other guys. And it wasn't an AA group meeting, but it was kind of structured simile, similar, sim, similarly, you guys. It was a vocabulary class is what it was. No, it was structured kind of similarly. And, and we had a list of topics that we would talk through about like work related and relationship related and all kinds of different things. And, and we would just have a chance... The topic of the day was, you know, fear. And then whoever wanted to talk could talk. And it was understood that whatever you say in this space is going to stay in this space. And we're not going to try and solve your problems or fix you. You just get to say it, <clears throat> confess it, if you will, to other people, and we'll hear it. And you get to unload it. 
You get to, to remove that space that's taking up area in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. You get to unload that in a space. There's two aspects of confession that scripture talks about, and they're both really important for us to understand. The first one we see in 1 John, Jesus says if we, or, uh, it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful. Jesus is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So there's an aspect of confession that's important for us to actually be able to confess our sins, our struggles, our weaknesses, our actions, our attitudes, so that we can have forgiveness. And if I were to take this out of like a spiritual concept and just kind of put it in a relational concept, you guys know that there's things in relationships that maybe you've done something and either you haven't owned it or you apologized, but the person hasn't forgiven you, and you can sense that, and you feel the gap in the relationship. You feel a distance in the relationship. You feel this sense of things are not right, and, and I wonder if they're still mad, and I wonder if they are still going to love me the same, and, and I don't think that that gap actually exists in our relationship with Jesus, but I think that we still carry it. When we don't confess and come forward in honesty with our Heavenly Father about our mistakes, I think that we begin to keep our own tab of our own issues, a running list of reasons why he's probably upset with me, reasons why I probably got fired from that job because of all of these totally unrelated things. I'm not able to find a good parking space because of these other, we, we keep this kind of running tab in our minds, and so it's crucial for us to ask for forgiveness of our sins, not only because we need to be forgiven, but because we need to realize that God is not keeping a record of wrongs. We get to embrace and accept that. So there's a forgiveness piece, but there's also a healing piece. In James 5, it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Not so that you can be forgiven, so you can be healed. And I think this ties back into that idea of, of disarming the power of secrecy, of, of the things that we're carrying that we feel like we can't say or talk about or unload. There's this challenge for us to actually confess it to each other so we can experience wholeness and healing. Forgiveness positions us in a right relationship with God, and healing frees us from the power or the domination of our past choices and what it has over us today. Just because you've been forgiven doesn't mean that you can experience wholeness in your life. Some of us, we, we ask for forgiveness for our sins, and we put our trust in Jesus, and, and like I said earlier, we just kind of categorize this as, great, I've got my ticket in the afterlife, and I'm good. But Jesus, in John 10, he talks about how he has actually come for us to experience life to the full, or abundant life, or a whole life, and we get to experience that through confession. All right, um, the second one I want to talk about is guidance. Oh, let me, before I go there, let me just, start, just real quickly, um, this confession piece, I started to say this earlier, it's probably not going to happen in this room, because we don't know everybody in this room. I don't know everybody in this room. It's, it can be scary. It can be scary to confess things to people that know you and that you know love you. So confession is a corporate or communal practice. We do it. We, we have to do it in a group with others. So what is that group for you? Is there a small group? Is there a group of friends that you're close with? Is, is there a, a Bible study at church that you're, you participate in? So 
it's important to recognize, well, I'm probably not going to just stand up and make a confession on a Sunday morning. But where is that place for me in community where I can participate in this practice? Everybody get it? Okay. Two of you. Great. Um, yes. I'll find a place to confess things. Jeez. Uh, guidance is the second one I want to look at. Uh, guidance is the collective wisdom of a community that's submitted to Christ. Now, guidance is a, it's a unique thing, and I want to talk about it because guidance isn't about getting more information because the reality is, is that we all have a lot of information. And there may be some areas in your life you need to grow. Maybe some of those are spiritual. Maybe some of those are relational. I, I get that. But it's not that we need to be a part of a community so we can download more information or take in more information. The, the benefit of guidance as a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice is that there's people that we trust that will help us use the information that we have. They'll help us identify like, oh yeah, you should lean into this piece of information. You should move towards this area of your life or this area of your relationship. The guidance piece is, it's not about necessarily just bringing in more information. It's actually utilizing a community of people that you trust to help you discern how to live. We tell our kids all the time. I tell my, my older son, Mason, uh, be careful about who you're hanging out with. Uh, I try rather than just say, be careful about who you're hanging out with. I try and tell him to be a good friend, be a good friend today. You know, find some people to care for, to be kind to these types of things. The reason why I say that and the reason why all of us parents have those fears is because the people that they are around are going to help them make decisions with the information that they have. This morning, I, I leave my house pretty early on Sundays. I usually get here around 5.30 or so in the morning. I'm very holy. I'm uh, just kidding. Uh, I do get here that early. I'm not very holy. Uh, but I was leaving, and we live in an apartment complex, and I'm like groggy trying to carry my computer bag and all this stuff, and I open up the front door of our uh, apartment complex kind of patio, and some people decided that it would be a good thing to toilet paper our apartment complex. What a poor life choice. Don't clap for that, Christina. No, I'm just kidding. Was it you? Was that a, is that a confession? Are we going to have a confession right here? It's a perfect example. No, but there is this sense. I remember, I've toilet papered things before, and let me be clear. I know that this is not the worst thing that a person can do, but, but I, I don't know that I ever, like, as an individual, am like, you know what I should do tonight? I should toilet paper someone's house. That happens because you are with people who also think that's a great idea, and there's whatever it is that comes along with that. I don't know why I'm using this example. I didn't do this in first service, but um, I guess that knows, that's how you know the pandemic is ending. People are using toilet paper to like throw across houses now. So, But this reality, this idea of guidance, and, and what I talk to about my son is because I recognize you have information and choices and opportunities all day long, and the people that you are around are going to inform or guide or shape which choices you take, which choices you make. It's true of my 10-year-old, and it's true of you and me also. Who are you around? Who are the people? And, and I want to give you 30 seconds of awkward silence to think about who are the people in your life that are guiding you? And you may not have a specific person that comes to mind, which may even be more scary. It may be, may be more dangerous that you don't have someone specifically guiding you. Who are the people that are shaping you? Who are the people that are 
helping you take a step in a direction. And what direction is that? Are you intentional? I want us to be intentional about this. In John 14, Jesus is speaking and he's talking about his children. He calls us his sheep and he's the great shepherd. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. There's like this kind of intimacy, that there's an awareness there that we listen to our heavenly father's voice. They've actually done studies, which is funny, and these are the types of facts that you learn as a pastor. It's like sheep facts. Uh, but sheep literally will remember familiar voices for over five years. Like over five years later, they could hear a voice and their brain uh, in the science things that they do, their brain lights up, they recognize that voice. There's this reality that we listen to our Heavenly Father's voice and, and we want to follow it. And in James, we're taught that if any of us lack wisdom, which would be all of us in some way, we should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. So it's not just about getting information like I articulated. It's getting the information of, okay, here's these spiritual truths or what I think is good or the right way to live, but I also need people to help me put that into perspective in my actual life because I'm not a shepherd. So what does that mean? I need people to help me understand how to actually apply some of these things to my life. How do I partner with a group of people or a small group Bible study or a church or a serving team to carry out these things? Um, one of the, there's a couple things that as we talk about guidance, uh, I'm going to take this chance to make two quick announcements. Uh, the first one is that in February, we have child dedications coming up. And we do child dedications at our church. It's an opportunity for the parents to make a statement and a commitment of the type of home they want to raise their kids in. They say, this is what we're committing to. This is, uh, this is what we're promising to. But it's also an opportunity for us to invite the church to say, hey, because we're your church family, we're going to stand with you. We're going to support you. We're going to help encourage you. We're going to help you guys continue moving in this direction. That's a beautiful picture of what guidance in a community looks like. It doesn't mean that they're making parenting decisions for you. It means you're not alone. They're going to, they're going to show up when you need them to show up and help you in the ways that you need help. Another opportunity, uh, we were going to do baptisms today, but we're actually going to push them into next week. And so if you guys are interested in getting baptized, taking that step in your faith journey, if you've put your trust in Jesus, but you haven't gotten baptized in water, it's such a great opportunity. And, and we get to celebrate that, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it's also saying, hey, I'm a part of this family. Guidance is, is an important thing, and oftentimes we don't really think about the people that are guiding us. The third one is... Uh, most of our favorites. We don't talk about it very much in church. Actually, I don't really know that I've ever been to a church that's talked about it, but the third uh, discipline we're going to look at today is the discipline of celebration. Thank you. I kind of expected a little bit more excitement. You guys are probably wor like worried it's a trap. Like, it can't be actually celebrating. We're at church. Uh, it can't be that fun. Uh, celebration is uh, one definition of this is utter delight and joy in ourselves, our life, and our world as a result of God's goodness. Really what this comes down to is recognizing the goodness in your life in your relationships, in the world. And, and, and as followers of Jesus, we believe, as it says in James, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. We, every good thing we experience is actually created 
by God. The goodness is from God. And so we connect those dots. That's the spiritual discipline of celebration is just connecting the dots between the stuff that's awesome in life and recognizing that it's from God. It's such a beautiful thing. And really at the core of it is joy. The core center of celebration is this idea of joy. Uh, some people have talked about celebration as the collective practice of gratitude. It's like these are the things we get to celebrate together. Maybe you guys have been to a dinner to celebrate a new job, and there's a sense of, yeah, I want to do something with other people or a graduation party. or uh, There's these different ways we gather around to celebrate goodness. Um, last summer, we got to go to a wedding, and... Uh, it was uh, someone from the church, some friends of ours, and uh, it was pretty far. We decided to drive, though, because we didn't have kids. And so, you know, an additional seven hours in the car still kind of felt like vacation. Uh, so we drove up. It was up in the Sacramento area. And um, it was, uh, the wedding was nice. Everything went perfectly. Um, the reception was good. And then the reception just, like, got better and better and better. There was so many amazing things. There was, like, a surprise confetti cannon, and they were playing, like, all of the best hits from the 90s and early 2000s. And somewhere in the middle of um, Lil John's Get Low, I just kind of, like, stopped on the middle of the dance floor. I was mid-low. No, I'm just kidding. And I just literally remember saying to Ez, this is amazing. This is so fun. I love this. And then we kept dancing to Lil John. Uh, it was a very deeply spiritual moment. But it was such a fun celebration. And most weddings are. But there was something about that experience that I just couldn't escape from. And it made me pause and actually, the next day, we were driving home halfway through a seven-hour drive, and we called friends that were also at the wedding and were at the reception, and we talked to them for about 30 minutes about how fun it was, which is such a weird way to spend time. But that's what celebration is. It's connecting the dots between, man, wasn't that incredible? It was so much fun. We were all there together, wrapped around this couple, cheering them on, celebrating their love, and it was good. What an incredible gift for us to be able to celebrate things, to connect the dots. Philippians 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and in case you're confused, I will say it again, rejoice. It's a simple command. And in Nehemiah, and the whole book of Nehemiah is a really powerful story. We could spend a lot of time there. But in Nehemiah chapter 8 is a, a line that most of us are really familiar with. But he starts off, and Nehemiah says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, which should be everyone's favorite memory verse, right? Uh, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Put a pin in that mentally. We'll come back to it. This day is holy to our Lord, not holy meaning pious or boring or robes with hands folded. They're having a party because it's holy, it's good to God. Don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's this aspect of joy at the center of celebration. And it's not that you have to find new things to celebrate, although you can. It's just recognizing the goodness in your life and connecting the dots and saying, God, I'm grateful. And maybe even inviting other people in to what you realize is a gift from God. One of the reasons why celebration is important is because we all want to call somebody when good things happen. 
we all want someone else to celebrate with us. Last Sunday, we watched uh, the Chiefs game. I don't even remember who they played, but they were amazing. Just kidding. I remember who they played. Uh, It was unbelievable, this game. And I'm not even a football fan, but it was like back and forth, and we were cheering, and then we were upset. I wasn't that upset because, you know, I'm not a sports person. Uh, But it was amazing. And then they ended up winning like in overtime. It was this crazy thing. And there was three of us in this living room, and it was exciting and fun, and we were excited. And then we FaceTimed my friend Sam, who had flown back to go to the game. And somehow he had enough cell service to answer the phone, a FaceTime call in the Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, and he was crying, and everyone around him was like jumping up and down, and we couldn't hear anything. We watched the same game. We saw the same end, but there's something that happens when you're with a group of people, and you're all celebrating and just recognizing the goodness, and I mean, it was a really incredible thing. It made me enjoy it more watching him via FaceTime. There was just something powerful that happened with this celebration. And this piece I want to go back to, send some to those who have nothing prepared. I think that there's an invitation for us to recognize that sometimes we don't want to be around people because things are hard. Sometimes we don't want to be around people because things aren't going the way I want them to go. I don't know if you ever had the thought or maybe even said out loud, I I just don't want to be a downer. I just don't know that I want to bring that energy into the space. There's an invitation and even a command to actually extend the invitation to the people who are not ready to celebrate. And that's why community is important. Because if it's just up to us, some of us have had a hard week. Some of us have had a hard year. Some of us have had a hard decade, hard life. And if it was just up to us, we might not celebrate. It might be hard for us to find the good things to celebrate, but community matters because we get to invite people into the party and we get to paint this picture that says, God is still doing incredible things. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you're not experiencing all of it or it right now or whatever that looks like, but we can still celebrate together. And there's a goodness that comes inside of that. The last one I wanna talk about is one that you may feel the most familiar with. Well, some of you may feel real familiar with celebrating, but that's different, different celebrations. The last one I wanna talk about is worship. Worship. A lot of us, you know, we kind of imagine this just being the the first few minutes of a church service on Sunday, the band sings a few songs, and and that is worship. We call that worship, that that is what that is, but worship is so much more than that. It's orienting your life around the goodness and the power of God. Orienting yourself around the goodness and the power of God. I think this is an important kind of idea, this word orienting. There's this, you know, when I hear that word, I kind of think of like Google Maps or something like that, like trying to locate exactly where I'm at in position to other things. And when we worship, it's a way for us to identify where we are at in relation to God. It helps us correctly understand who God is. And we get to acknowledge and celebrate God's goodness or that he's a father or that he's generous or loving or forgiving. It helps us kind of correctly find ourselves in who we see God is. But it also helps us recognize who we are in relation to our heavenly father. 
we are loved and forgiven. And there's grace and mercy that's new every day. And his spirit is in us and is helping transform our hearts and our minds. And when we orient ourselves, when we find ourselves in this truth, it just helps spur on and encourage us to worship more, to acknowledge, to to celebrate, to thank, to express gratitude about who God is. We all worship something or some things. Worship ultimately reveals what we value the most. And it can look a lot of different ways. Even if we just boiled it down to that portion of time at the beginning of church when we sing songs together. Some people are singing. I talked to somebody at first service. They're like, I don't sing, but I'll sway. <laughs> I was like, get your sway on. Like, uh, some people raise their hands. Some people clap. Some people close their eyes. Even in that few minutes of singing these, these, these worship songs together, there's different expressions. And it goes so much beyond music. Anytime that we're honoring and rightly acknowledging who God is in our life, that is worship. And it doesn't just show up in these few minutes. It can show up in any aspect of our life. Uh, There's a a passage, and I don't have time to read all of it, so I'm going to paraphrase it just to kind of make a point here. Um, but John, uh, towards the end of his life, he has this vision. He's stuck on this island, and he kind of has this vision of who God is. And uh, in this vision, it says he hears a booming voice. It's like a trumpet. He sees seven golden lampstands with the resurrected Jesus in the middle of them, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash. Jesus' hair is like a blizzard of white, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like bronze, and his voice sounds like rushing waters. He holds seven stars in his hand, and his face shines like the blazing sun of noonday. And then it says, essentially, that John fell over in worship like he was dead. There is a sense of, like, all of this glory that he had in this vision, this beautiful, powerful auditory, visual, all of this experience that he had in this vision, and he couldn't help but worship. And I'd be willing to bet that we would all be the same. If any of us experienced that, we would absolutely fall over in worship. But I don't know that that's the spiritual discipline of worship, the choice, the practice of worshiping, even in the less than ideal scenarios. We show up and maybe the room's a little bit too cold or the drums are a little bit too loud or Janice can't sing on key or so-and-so is clapping on the wrong beat or, or whatever it is. We get distracted by different things, but we're invited, we're called to practice worship, this discipline of doing this thing even when not everything is perfect. Not everything is exactly the way that I want it to be. I get to lean in because it's actually not about the way I want it to be. It's about who God is and correctly recognizing that. Worship doesn't just connect us to God. It also connects us to each other. It bonds us together with others. Have you guys ever been to a place that had uh, dueling pianos? Yeah? So much fun. And if you haven't been to a place that has dueling pianos, it's essentially it's two pianos kind of facing each other and two wildly talented musicians that can play basically any song you ask for and sing it and be entertaining along the way. 
And most of the time they have the room split in the middle and one half of the room is kind of versus the other half of the room. And obviously they're working for tips. And so if you put a song request in with a $5 bill, then somebody else can put one in with like a $10 bill and you can cancel out all the songs and it's a great time. But inevitably somebody always requests Piano Man, uh, which you know, I don't know anybody that just in their day-to-day life is like, you know what I want to put on? Piano Man. You know, it's like everybody's like, hey, it's a, yeah, the song's great. Some people are not a big fan. It's fine, whatever it is. And so they start playing Piano Man, and even the people playing the piano are like, here we go, like Piano Man, again, for the seven millionth time in my, you know, my career. But by the time you get to the first chorus, everyone is like locking arms, swaying, singing out about the piano man. There's like this thing that happens and you start to recognize and feel this connection of, of all of the, the feels that you have. Maybe it's celebration. Maybe it's a recognition of, you know, taking it out of the dueling piano bar and into church. Maybe it's a recognition of God's grace in your life or the power of his love. It could be all kinds of things, but singing and worshiping is something we do as an individual, but we are also called to do this together in community. And when we do this together in community, powerful things happen. Powerful things happen together in community. There's a story about a family in our church. A lot of you guys will recognize them. You may know them, but it just fits so perfectly into what I'm talking about. I would love to turn your attention towards the screen as we watch this story together. Hi, my name is Andre Jones, my wife Linda Jones. And we have been together actually this year. We'll celebrate 20 years of marriage. So we weren't uh, necessarily going to church. Uh, we would go on majority on holidays. I was raised in the Catholic Church. And then we started our kids at a Christian school and they've been there throughout. So we always experienced God, but we never felt like we had like a complete home until we started coming here. A co-teacher of mine at work had invited me to her church, and it was just a genuine invitation. And so I'm thankful for that persistence. We probably would have never found South Hills. We felt really welcomed, you know, kind of like the slogan, like the perfect place for imperfect people, because we all had our own moments of like, you know, I, I don't know how I'm supposed to read the Bible. I always felt a little bit lost in that, and coming here just felt so relatable not just for both of us but for our children they get up on in the morning and they're like is it church day are we going to church and they're excited and so their excitement brings us joy and makes us feel like this is what we're supposed to be doing it's supposed to feel like second nature it's not supposed to feel like an obligation everyone's been willing to uh, to dive in and anything at South Hills we've uh, did the gardening did the trunk or treat as well as the the food drive that we had and that was just that was amazing in itself coffee station coffee bar set up and tear down during set up and tear down. quarantine it takes a village to get everything to run and I think Again, having so many children and being a big family, we know that aspect of like things can't get done unless everybody pitches in. Coming to South Hills, um, God's changed my relationship with my wife uh, and my children. Our family was a little bit of the organized chaos. After uh, coming to South Hills, the family is just more intertwined with each other. We make all make decisions with each other. I've never was baptized uh, previously, and I wanted to, to lead by example for, for my kids and just taking the, the proper steps with, with our faith. I was baptized also with, with two of my children, Elijah and, and Sydney. 
and that was just a heart heartwarming experience for me. I feel that it's just a, it, it was a new new beginning for us with with our faith. As far as my professional career as well, I've been through ups and downs. God's had my back, and actually everything's falling in line. Coming here and, and uh, praising and uh, getting the word, bringing it into my heart, it actually allowed me to to feel okay with it. You're you're gonna go through ups and downs, and that's life. And with the support of my wife, we were here during those times, and not everybody knew it, but we were here, and we uh, we got through it. Finding a community and finding people that are relatable to you, you won't find that unless you put yourself out there. We can all use support and love and, and all that. So if anyone was feeling skeptical to try, it's like, what do you have to lose? I, uh, I love that family. I love that story. And there's so many pieces of that that I could probably just talk about it for a long time. And we actually filmed that story last year uh, in um, early December, I think. And it kind of kept getting delayed. And then finally, I was like, OK, we're going to show it uh, the last week of January. And then it just is such a perfect story for today because they were invited by someone which is always one of my favorite things when we invite people and they show up and they participate and they came to a corporate communal experience and they found something that mattered. And they started navigating different aspects of life. Andre talked about how he would come and he would sing, he would worship together with community and he would hear this teaching and the, the impact that that kind of communal aspect had on him and he take, took that step to get baptized and they talked about the challenge of navigating things at work and how not everybody even knew how challenging it was at times, but he was still here and a part of this thing, just like the verse in Nehemiah where it says, we're all going to celebrate. We're going to invite everyone in regardless if they're not ready. There's going to be an opportunity for us to celebrate together and they lean in and serve and just all of these aspects are such incredible aspects because it happens because we're gathering here together. There's a space here together. There's people that have come for the first time that didn't even really know that they were going to go to church. That's a real story. Not once, not twice, at least three times that I know of people have showed up here not planning on attending church. Uh, and it's incredible. And the reason why they showed up and they got to come in and experience something is because we were here. I can love Jesus alone at home, but they can't show up at my house. <laughs> they could maybe with the toilet paper or whatever it is. But there's this, like we were here, there's community, corporate, a place. We do this together and it provides an opportunity for people to experience the goodness of who God is. These spiritual practices and disciplines that we've talked about over the last few weeks, they, are, they can be very challenging. And I assume that none of us will do all of them perfectly all of the time, but there's an invitation for us to say, I want to lean in and I want to try to do these spiritual practices because I believe it will be good for me. I believe it'll be good for my church family. And I really actually believe it'll be good for our community at large if I can be this way, if I can do these things. And that's the invitation for us today to say, who is it that I want to become? And what are the things I need to do to get there? We can put our trust in Jesus today. You don't have to do anything for that. He is ready and inviting you to do that. But to continue seeing growth and wholeness and transformation 
He chooses to partner with us. We take a step forward, and he powers that step. We move forward, and he empowers us in that way. Let's pray together today. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.